It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. This is Access Atlanta. Every week, we share some of the best places to eat, play, and live out loud in the ATL. And of course, we go behind the scenes and find the stories that show Atlanta is one of a kind. Welcome to Access Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison. We've changed the way we do our podcast. That means we're recording it remotely from our homes, but we've also changed what we're talking about in the podcast, since we've always prided ourselves on providing guidance on things to do in and around Atlanta, and because most venues, theaters, and attractions are closed, we're going indoors, and in some cases where it's practical, outdoors to places where it's easy to practice social distancing. Movies create memories, and we often associate them with specific times of our lives. The soundtracks from those movies can bring those memories flooding back. The 80s seemed like an especially fertile time for memorable movie soundtracks, but there are great ones stretching back to the early days of the album, and they're still growing strong today. Melissa Ruggieri joins us this week to talk about the movie soundtracks of our lives. Welcome, Melissa. Hello, Shane. Um, so you've written this story about, uh, soundtracks, which, you know, um, they do sort of conjure up the movie for a lot of people. They really do. And, you know, this idea actually came from our editor, Nikki, and she mentioned it to me earlier in the summer. And it was just one of those things that was like, okay, yeah, we could kind of fill that in when we need it (laughs) type of story. But I started thinking about it at least, you know, two or three weeks before I actually had to come up with the list. And, you know, what always happens when I write these stories, whether, you know, I did one about, you know, classic albums and then about 80s songs is that you run into this problem of, I don't want to forget fill in the blank, you know, or I have to make sure to mention fill in the blank. And then what starts out as, okay, I'll do a list of like 15, maybe 20 turns into 25, which turns into 35, which turns into, thank God the internet has unlimited space because (laughs) (laughs) at least we could just throw the extra stuff online if it doesn't fit in print. So that was, that's always really my most challenging part with a lot of these list stories. And because there's so much good stuff out there. So that's why I decided to start in the 70s rather than going back, like you say, you know, to the 50s and 60s, because then it would be a list of 100 soundtracks probably. Right. And yeah. nobody wants to read that anyway. Um, and, and then, of course, you know, I, I try to limit myself to, OK, I'm only going to write one sentence about each one. And then inevitably that turns into probably two sentences about each one because it's really hard to encapsulate an entire soundtrack right. in one sentence sometimes. And I also wanted to limit put some parameters on what I chose and limit it to movie soundtracks because 
you know, in talking to some friends and, and, and my husband, I'd say like, Hey, you know, what's your favorite soundtrack or whatever. And like, you know, he's like, don't forget Miami vice. And I'm like, okay, well yeah. that's TV show. Cause then if I go into TV shows again, we're adding to the list. Right. And then with theater stuff, of course there's a, there's a, a gazillion amazing theatrical soundtracks from Broadway. Right. And yeah. I was thinking more like not including, you know, things like wicked and up until this past month, you know, Hamilton, even though it is technically a movie now. But when one of our editors was reading the story, she said, you know, I might argue with you about the Wiz and Grease not being musicals, which is a fair point. But yeah. again, I figured, you know, she agreed that, of course, they had to be in there. And right. but I was like, well, I was it's OK if it's a musical that became a huge movie. Right. And and I think most people a certainly of a certain generation think of Greece more as the movie than the yeah. original musical and the whiz, the soundtrack became more popular than either the movie or the musical right. really. So, you know, sometimes there were things that I had across a gray line there that I, you know, created for myself essentially yeah. <laughs> to, to limit, you know, what, what we put in or to not exclude things that would be really obvious. Cause I think if you leave out something like Greece, you know, you're going to hear from people who say, what, what kind of a moron are you that you yeah. don't know that Greece is one of the biggest soundtracks of all time. Um, and then of course you look at all these movies and a lot of these on this list with soundtracks that were huge music themed movies that then became shows on, on Broadway or in, yeah. you know, somewhere in theater, like the bodyguard, was a musical that came out a few years ago. Sing Street, which was one of my favorite movies of the last few years, that actually had been off-Broadway and was supposed to open on Broadway in March, but we all know what happened there. Right. And hopefully when Broadway Praying reopens in January, that it'll be able to have its you know initial debut on Broadway like it was planned to. So, you know, not only – it works both ways, you know. It's like not only does the – can the musical inform the soundtrack, but the soundtrack can then <laughs> bring out a stage yeah. production too. So, right. But yeah, it's like, you know, it's interesting. You started in the seventies, but as you mentioned, it's like they, they go back to the fifties. I think, you know, they started in the early fifties. There were some, but you know, they didn't really pick up until much later, but there were things like uh, the Peter Gunn soundtrack, which uh, mm -hmm. Henry Mancini, if it even won like an Emmy and Grammy. Oh yeah. And all that. So, you know, things like that were around then. Miles Davis did um, a soundtrack for a Louis Mal film. Mm -hmm. um, and what else? There was another one I was, oh, and then, you know, up at the, right at the beginning of the seventies, Pink Floyd did several soundtracks that not a lot of people know about. They're not, you know, they're more popular things. That's right. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah, they did them, and you know there was one for the film More. There, they also contributed to uh, Zabriskie Point, uh, Antonioni film. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. so yeah, I mean their soundtracks, and and of course there were there were many things that were just the score of of a movie, right? Um, I, right, and you look at even like even in the seventies, like a John Williams who. Yeah created so many just incredibly memorable soundtrack movie music that, you know, all you have to hear is, you know, three notes right. from something and you know what movie it came from. And, and I didn't include those either just for, you know, space purposes really, yeah. because, you know, you would, you would have the whole star Wars trilogy and Indiana Jones and Jaws and <laughs> I mean, so, right. so many incredible movies that the music really 
is a thing that you kind of remember just as much as the movie. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think that's, that's a whole different story. You could do a right. whole other thing on you exactly know, Com- coming in October. <laughs> <laughs> the sequel, soundtracks, the sequel. There. yeah, or or soundtracks, the prequel. <laughs> we'll do the fifties and sixties, yeah. right? You know, it is funny that you look at Saturday Night Fever, which is the second biggest selling soundtrack in history that sold 16 million copies. And then you look at Grease, which they came out, you know, 77, 78. Yeah. And, and the Bee Gees, you know, obviously they were the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack, but then Barry Gibb was the one who wrote the Grease theme song and John Travolta was in both movies. So you had some right. interesting crossover there. Right. And so those were both really huge at the end of the 70s. But then I, I really think, and, and I don't think it's just my own bias because I grew up in the eighties, but you know, you look back at the eighties charts and it was just soundtrack after soundtrack after soundtrack, because that was when, you know, albums changed over to CDs. So people were also, you know, rebuying a lot of things that they may have bought in 80 or 81 or 82 and then, you know, rebuying it in 85 or 86 on CD. But they also, the top 40 charts were just populated with so many of these hits from Flashdance and Footloose and Purple Rain and, you know, Top yeah. Gun, Dirty Dancing, Pretty in Pink, you, you know, and, and you would hear, you know, like Pretty in Pink, like the Psychedelic Furs, they really weren't a very big band no, no. <laughs> in America. And the same with Simple Minds with the Breakfast Club soundtrack, which is not on my list. You know, I, I had three or four at least that I originally had on there. And then I thought of other ones like, oh, a Mighty Wind. I really should include that. So, you know, I had to go swap things out, even if it was a different decade. So right. there there were some, you know, like the whole John Hughes you know, <laughs> catalog right, could basically yeah. be on the soundtrack yeah. list. I was going to say you didn't have Breakfast Club, which, I, you know, granted, I think Pretty in Pink is definitely the choice. There. Yes. If you're going to um, pick a John Hughes movie, yeah, right. I, I, I think so. Or St. Elmo's Fire. I mean, St. Elmo's Fire had a couple of, which not John Hughes, but, you know, had a couple yeah. of right. big hits off of it. So there were, but there were so many movies in the 80s that also brought some of these British bands right. to American attention just by their song being on the soundtrack and being played, you know, during during it. And I, I know that's how I discovered a lot of them, too, because I'm like, who is yeah. Psychedelic first? You know, and then you go yeah. listen to them and go, ah, I like this band outside of this song, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they I mean, and they actually I think I, I'm not sure if it was re-recorded, but it was definitely remixed for the. Yes. Uh, for the soundtrack. Yes. Because if you hear the original version, it, it, it it's a little flatter. There's just some there is something yeah. definitely different in the in the remixing that yeah, made the guitar it is higher. it's a little it's a little grungier than the uh yeah the one on the soundtrack yes yeah. the soundtrack one definitely got a gloss over for yeah. top 40 radio and and you know and it worked for them but then just like when we did that 80 story when rodney ho and i did that 80 story earlier this summer where we specifically were trying to bring attention to not the major hit from each artist, but maybe the secondary or tertiary hit. Because a lot of that, I think, happens with some of these soundtracks too. Because like with Top Gun, Berlin's Take My Breath Away was the the major, major hit. And it's the song that they're probably most associated with. Whereas that and My Heart Will Go On, I really, these are songs that please just, you know, Put put a knitting needle through my ear rather than make yeah. me listen to them again. <laughs> Whereas there actually are some really good songs on the Top Gun soundtrack. Like there's a cheap trick song called Mighty Wings, which is a great cheap trick song. And yeah. and the Top Gun anthem that Harold Faltermeyer, somebody else who's certainly famous for much of his soundtrack work, oh, yeah. um, you know, that was done with Steve Stevens, who's Billy Idol's longtime guitarist. And those are those are really good songs, but they don't get quite the attention. And and even Footloose. God knows Kenny Loggins, you know, I should have mentioned him specifically just as sort of the king of the soundtracks yeah. in the 80s. He was certainly on so many of them. But, well, you know, the Footloose soundtrack, the, the title track was the big hit. But, you know, Let's Hear It For The Boy was on there. Dancing in the Sheets from Shalimar was a big hit. And 
Bonnie Tyler, God Lover, I mean, holding out for a hero is just a crazy, dramatic, fun song to listen to for the irony. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, well, she's known for the drama. That's exactly, for sure. exactly. Yeah. I mean, what, what a great compliment to tr- Total Eclipse of the Heart. I mean, she yeah. really, she really knew how to bring the bombast to those songs. And oh, when yeah. you see, and when you see the video of like you know the house burning and all this kind yeah. of stuff, and it, and it and it's used really well in the movie too. It's actually one of my favorite scenes in the movie when they're doing this you know drag racing contest or whatever because it's just it's just funny, you know. But right, I, and I like Bonnie Tyler. I actually really yeah. I enjoy that song but I think when people hear Footloose they just associate it automatically with with the Kenny Loggins you know theme and then you had like the big chill that really since the movie was so boomer heavy it just relied on so many of those past hits from the 60s and yeah. and and that you know that's interesting too you know some some movies chose to go back and use stuff that was already out there and sort of repopulated it for the movie whereas others like D- Dirty Dancing was like this combination of taking some old stuff like be my baby and love is strange mm-hmm. and then throwing in, you know, I've had the time of my life, which was a new song for the movie and then putting Patrick Swayze on there with his big ballad hit. And I believe me, I love Patrick Swayze and and I love that man. And he was just uh, seemed like a lovely soul and a great actor, but I didn't need to hear him sing necessarily. Right. <laughs> I, don't right. I don't know if she's yeah. like the wind really needed to be a Patrick Swayze song. <laughs> and since we're speaking of, of dirty dancing, I just want to, Throw out that that Jennifer Warnes is one of the great underrated singers. Underrated, so time. underrated. Yes, yeah. yes, and I'm so glad that that gave her that type of platform, right? Because I think it, for a lot of people that was their first introduction to her, also, and right. maybe even Bill Medley. You know, I mean, well, I, yeah. I mean, yeah. if you were a teenager in the 80s, like I was, you didn't necessarily know the Righteous Brothers. I mean, I, I did because I was into music, but the average person, you know, no. hearing them for the first time might be, oh, who's that guy? Oh, this is the All band. Right. This is the group he was in. You know, that, that kind of thing. So, yeah. And and also the, the Big Chill soundtrack, that was that was really probably what um, really made me go back and, and listen to 60s soul and R&B. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, up until that time, that wasn't really much on my radar, I guess. You sure. Know, I was still, I was young. I wasn't even 20 yet by that, when that came out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I hadn't really listened to a lot of that stuff. Um, and so that was, you know, the beginning. I'm like, oh, well, I really like this. Let's go listen to some more. Soundtracks, yeah. they teach you. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. It's like, you know, Marvin Gaye, The Temptations, there's some great stuff on there. Yes. There's also some classic rock as well, but, right. you know. But it's I, the I thing that, that spurred you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like I, I'd heard that stuff and I'd heard the, the you know, the, the Temptations and, the, and Marvin Gaye and all that, but I had, you know, I don't think I'd really listen to them. And I think the Big Chill soundtrack made me listen to them for the first time. Exactly. And then also probably prompted you to explore their catalogs a little bit more, too. Not just like that one song on the soundtrack, but, oh, hey, here's Marvin Gaye's catalog. You know, this is this is that guy. You know, yeah. Yeah. I still remember. It's funny. I can still remember being in high school English class and I had a really cool English teacher, Mr. Balcom, and he was always very artistic you know, arts inclined and stuff. And he came into class one day and he had a cassette in his hand. And, um, and he, and I remember him saying, if, you know, those of you who really like music, you definitely want, you definitely want to check this soundtrack out. And it was the soundtrack to when Harry met Sally, because hmm. it was the first time that Harry Connick Jr. was really doing anything that anybody had ever heard of him before. And he was, you know, a very young guy and sort of this, you know, New Orleans piano prodigy. And, and, you know, he was commissioned to, 
do essentially all of the soundtrack, not every song on there, but, you know, his whole Sinatra vibe and then taking old songs like It Had to Be You and Don't Get Around Much Anymore and putting his own spin on things. And and I just remember, you know, taking that to heart and going and looking up, you know, Harry Connick Jr. I think he may have had a, an album that came out um, maybe the year prior or I, I can't remember that exactly, but but I just remember that English class moment of a soundtrack being something that led me to then learn more about Harry Connick Jr. And of course, you know, he's certainly gone on to have a thriving and fruitful career in all sorts right. of mediums. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we've uh, we've pretty much explored the '70s and '80s of your list here. I think. Um, yeah, was there anything else that we needed to mention in the 70s and 80s before we move on to the 90s? Only maybe Prince, because Prince's right. Purple Rain was one of the definitive soundtracks of the oh, 80s. Yeah. And then at the end of the decade, he had the Batman soundtrack, right. which is so cool. I mean, there's just so much creativity in that soundtrack. And I love, like, if Bat Dance oh. comes on, it's oh, one of those yeah. lost hits of the 80s. Just what a... What an incredible piece of musicianship yeah. and and Prince weirdness, really, <laughs> is what it is. And so, yeah. yeah. And, and then, you yeah, know. Yeah, I, I vividly remember Purple Rain coming out and we were, you know, all just crazy about the movie and everyone seemed to have the soundtrack. It was, you know, it a was phenomenon. huge. It was yeah. such a phenomenon. And then Prince also had an 86, the Under the Cherry Moon soundtrack. The yep. movie was a big flop. But that soundtrack was actually released also as his album called parade so yep. it was the same music and and that's where kiss was that's where kiss came from yeah was, was technically from the end of the cherry moon soundtrack so so yeah the 80s soundtracks were actually a a pretty big uh, spotlight time for prince too but but yeah the 90s uh early 90s actually brought us the biggest selling soundtrack of all time and and i think even if you don't know it if you thought about it for 30 seconds yeah. <laughs> you can probably <laughs> come up with who it is yeah it it would be whitney houston's the bodyguard soundtrack and um you know of course her rendition of dolly parton's i will always love you is the thing that is probably most associated with her in general even given the huge you know growth and and, and coverage of her career that that's the song that she didn't write but still her version of it is still incredible and it's an interesting story that they they didn't want to, they weren't initially going to use that song. It was Kevin Costner who suggested the Dolly, that you know Dolly Parton has this old song that I think would be great for this, and then David Foster produced it. And he has a new documentary, by the way, out on Netflix. David Foster, and in it right. he does he does talk about the recording of "I Will Always Love You," and just I mean the way he talks about being in the studio with Whitney when she did it, and how you know he's such a perfectionist and he makes people do things a hundred times or whatever that there was really no improving on what Whitney Houston did <laughs> right right well and, and often you know often I, I think you know when people you know have to redo things again and again so often I hear the story it's like well we went back to the original you know it's right like the, you know it, it, it's some there's something about that you know that first burst of, of doing something that that's special um you know, so sometimes it doesn't really help to do it again and again. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, even if there's a tiny flaw in it, if it sounds natural, that's OK, because uh, people people are human, you know. But the bodyguard soundtrack, I mean, aside from I Will Always Love You, I mean, it had a ton of hits, too. I Have Nothing, Run To You, Queen of the Night, Shaka Khan's I'm Every Woman remake that Whitney did. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, that that was a huge, it sold more than 18 million copies, by the way. And yeah. and I and I know, you know, it, it got a, a push for sure after Whitney's passing. And, you know, it's the kind of soundtrack that is always going to sell even today, you know, a, a several thousand copies a year, just because people are always discovering that kind of stuff. But yeah, and you know, and keeping with the the early '90s grunge era thing too, you you have the soundtrack to singles, which 
was so much of that Seattle grunge movement with Soundgarden and Pearl Jam on that and and Reality Bites too. I, I remember um although I guess Reality Bites wasn't really grunge so much. It was the it was the soundtrack that Lisa Loeb had her initial right. hit with Stay. Yeah. That she, and at the time it was kind of unheard of that she was an unsigned artist and you know, she somehow lucked into getting her song on this soundtrack and there right. you go. <laughs> and yeah. then, then a career was born. <laughs> right. Right. And then, then, you know, there's also uh waiting to exhale, which you mentioned. It's like Whitney Houston again. Yes. Um, yes. With Babyface. Yeah. That was, that was another yeah. huge thing. A little more, a little more, you know, R and B traditional R and B gospel yeah. tinge, I think on, on the waiting to exhale. And, and I'm sure you're a train spotting fan, right? Oh yes, definitely. <laughs> that, that soundtrack. I, I, it, it when I hear that it it takes me back to a certain time for sure. Yeah, yeah, um, and it's just so everything about that movie was so seedy, and I yeah. think the songs on the soundtrack really are such an ideal complement to it, and especially Lou Reed's "Perfect Day" and the, God, you know, the way that, that the way that was used too. I mean, that was <laughs> yeah, that that was yeah. that was pretty incredible, and and Boogie Nights was another big soundtrack from you know late late 90s and and they used a lot of 70s and 80s stuff in that too but music was such a big part of that movie that you know use you, you the time period really sort of right. worked <laughs> with right. what they were doing and then you know you get into the 2000s and it started off with with sort of a left turn with oh brother where yeah. art thou yeah no one yeah. really expected that to become what no. it did I mean, bluegrass and folk and I mean, Grammy Album of the Year winner in 2002. I mean, that that thing really just took off crazily. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. I, I still remember how it, it just seemed to come out of nowhere, really. That, right. That, you know, who, who was expecting this from, you know, this Coen Brothers film and, you know, a, a soundtrack with bluegrass. Right. <laughs> old, old time folk. Yeah, no. And that's like, is George Clooney singing that? No, no, that's not George Clooney. That's Stan Tominsky. Yeah. <laughs> singing yeah. That. And, and yeah, I mean, the, the early 2000s, you know, had had a, you know, a handful of memorable things. The, I don't know if you ever heard the I Am Sam soundtrack. I don't remember the movie with, with Sean Penn. I but, do remember the movie. I don't really remember. Funny, I don't remember the soundtrack. You should check out the soundtrack. My cousin yeah. actually reminded me of it when he's, he had, you know, he's a huge music person like I am. And we talk about music all the time. And I remembered at the time, you know, I lived in Richmond where he is. And we were driving to concerts together and stuff. We would actually listen to this soundtrack a lot in the car um, because they're they're all Beatles covers. But right. you know, people like Amy Mann and Michael Penn and Rufus Wainwright and Ben Fold, Paul Westerberg. You know, they're just really cool, interesting takes right. on Beatles catalog. And and I think you would like it actually. I think you should. Well, you should it's interesting because it I know I've heard the Rufus Wainwright version of Across the Universe, but mm -hmm. I don't know that I've ever heard any of these others that you mentioned. Um, so yeah, I'm going to have to go check that out for sure. Yeah. The Amy Mann, Michael Penn, two of us is, is really great. It's, yeah. it's, it's the perfect, you know, like when you, when you hear that's the Beatles doing that song and you listen to the lyrics, I mean, they're sort of like the perfect couple <laughs> to really yeah. embody what the song is about. You know, it just, it works really, really well. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I love Christopher Guest and I love the Christopher Guest movies and there were many Christopher Guest movies that I could have put the soundtrack in for. But I think since during pandemic time, um, my husband and I have this alternating weekend of who gets to pick what we watch like on a Saturday night. And and his pick a couple weeks ago was a mighty win. So it was sort yeah. of fresh in my memory. Yeah. Just I mean, you know, these songs that are written specifically for a movie about folk musicians that are actual really good songs that are Yeah, fun. they I are. I mean they, they really capture that that time perfectly. 
they really so and the title track well i guess title of the title track it's called the mighty wind is blowing i mean it's yeah. hilarious I mean, it's got it's got some very clever wordplay in it yeah. that you really have to be paying attention to otherwise you might miss it and, yeah. but it's so it's so funny it's such a such a fun soundtrack and and you know most of the people you know who are in many of those christopher guest movies like harry Shearer and eugene levy they they can sing they can sing perfectly fine yeah. <laughs> they yeah. can they can do what they need to do and then like what you know then you get into our current decade well i guess what was our current decade at least the, the 2010s um I, have you seen sing street i have not no. you need to see sing sing street it's hard to say yeah. sing, shane you need to see sting street it's <laughs> a, a, a lot of s's there I, it, it it probably is a little might be a little too synthy for you, but I think you'll yeah. really appreciate the story of you know it's a coming of age story set in, in Ireland in the eighties and you know just a, a kid who wants to impress a, an older girl who he's got a crush on and he pretends like he's in a band and then you know she wants to be in their video and then he's like uh oh I better get a band together <laughs> kind right. of thing. But all of the songs are they're all original. So, well, there's there's lots of you know eighty stuff like from Duran Duran and the Jam and the Cure in there, but but many of the songs are originally penned for the movie by Gary Clark, who was from the Scottish eighties band, Danny Wilson. Yeah. And they're, they're awesome songs. I mean, they're just so melodic and lush and, and really you should, you should check it out. I, I think you, cool. you'd really like it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to do that. Yeah. And and then of course in 2017, we had that huge hit with, with Khalifa and Charlie Puth with see you again, that really took over the airwaves for a million months. It felt like, and, and of course for good reason, because it, in addition to being part of the soundtrack for Furious 7, it also paid tribute to Paul Walker, who had died right before the right. movie came out and in a tragic accident. And, you know, that, that of course, that combination of, of timing and sentiment really, you know, made it one of the biggest things, one of the biggest songs of that year, if I remember correctly. And, uh, you know, so so that, that I'm sure you've probably heard. And then, you know, it, like 2018, 2019, we had that, that whole biopic period with Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody and Elton John's Rocket Man, and then the remake of A Star Is Born, and and have you seen Blinded by the Light? The the Bruce Springsteen. No. Okay, you need to see that yeah. too. That that's yeah. a. Real, and it doesn't matter if you like Springsteen's music or not. It's just the way it's used in the film is so sweet and moving. And the fact that the guy who wrote the movie it was it's about his. It's a true story based on his life growing up. In, in England, in a small town in England as a Pakistani oh, man. Yeah. I, I now remember this movie. I do remember reading about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, you could definitely stream it now. It's, it's yeah. really, it's really, really good. And, you know, when Bruce, you know, he wrote to Bruce personally to get permission to use his songs because without the songs, you wouldn't have had the movie. Right. And, and, you know, Bruce heard his story and he'd actually met the guy a few times over the years, like backstage or, or whatever. And, you know, Bruce mm-hmm. said, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm cool with this, you, you know, use my stuff. And, right. and it just the, 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 it'll make you look at Springsteen songs a little bit differently too. And just the meaning that they can convey no matter, you know, whether you live in Jersey or, or you live in, in a small town in England, yeah, <laughs> you know I mean? yeah. that, that's what was kind of cool about that too. And the rocket man soundtrack, um, I remember when it came out, there were some people who were sort of like, well, but it's not Elton John singing. It's, it's Taron Edgerton who plays Elton in the movie and did his own singing in the movie. And if you saw the movie, you know, no, it doesn't always sound like Elton John, but it's not supposed to. That's sort of the point. Right. Yeah. And they really did some cool remixes with a lot of Elton's classics that they used, you know, in the movie. And then there isn't a new Elton John song on there that he actually duets with with Taron Edgerton called uh, I'm Going to Love Me Again. Yeah. And, and, you know, so you get a little bit of Elton in there, too. But um, yeah. and the cool thing about going to Bohemian Rhapsody for a second, the cool thing about that soundtrack is that 
there were there are five songs on there from Queen's 1985 Live Aid performance, and right. that was such a you know a momentous moment in their career, even though it was late in their career. It was still, you know, to me, it was the best part of the movie that recreated Live Aid performance. So to have have those live performances on record is reason enough, really, to to have the soundtrack. And and, you know, and A Star is Born, you know, going back to the 1954 version with Judy Mm -hmm. Garland, there's there's always been a song on there. You know, you had The Man That Got Away in 54. You had Evergreen in 1976 with Barbara Streisand. And then, of course, you have Shallow with Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper with this one. But there there are other really good current songs on the soundtrack from Lady Gaga, like uh, Always Remember Us This Way, another big ballad that was on there, that it's not just the shallow soundtrack. (laughs) So so it's worth hearing as well. (laughs) And I also, you know, I kind of felt like, look, we're in the middle of a summer that has no summer concerts and no summer movies. So this actually seemed like a good time to take the two things that we might, two of the things that we might be missing about life right. and, yeah. and, and sort of look at what, you know, what, what has come before us. And hopefully next summer there will be another spate yeah. of, of summer movie soundtracks. Yeah. yeah. And it's great. Cause you know, this is like a, a double shot of entertainment. Cause you've got, you know, you can listen to the soundtrack and that'll make you want to see the movie and vice right. versa. Exactly. Uh, Or, and like I said, when Broadway does come back, there are, you know, a handful of these are things that you might see on Broadway or might be coming to Broadway or whatever. And then there you go. The soundtrack will continue on there as well. (laughs) Well, awesome. This has been great. I love talking, you know, as you know, I love talking about music (laughs) and and I know you do too. I do. And I love talking to you about it. And this is great. This is, I mean, it reminded me of some things that that, uh, I had forgotten and, you know, taught me some things I didn't know, um, things that I need to go listen to. So, well, And you need to watch Sing Street and Blinded by the Light. Those are, those are my, yeah. that's my homework assignment for you until next time. Okay. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I definitely will. Thanks so much, Melissa. Thanks, Shane. There's nothing normal about our new normal, but AJC.com is the same trusted source you've always had. And we have just as much great content, if not more. That's why each week I'll highlight my personal picks for the best things to do, see, and experience. And the stories are easy to find on AJC.com. COVID-19 has changed just about everything. And one of the hardest hit segments of the arts community is live theater. They may be down, but they're not out. Atlanta's Tony Award-winning Alliance Theater has announced its 2020-21 season. And it looks very different from past seasons. Audiences will be smaller, and so will the cast, at least in the beginning. The season opens with a one-woman show, followed by a reimagined version of the theater's annual production of A Christmas Carol, which will involve a drive-in audience. Get the full story from Bo Emerson, who spoke to the company's artistic director, Susan B. Booth. You'll find that at AJC.com. Live concerts return to Atlanta this week with a show at the Red Clay Music Foundry in Duluth, presented by Eddie Owen. Like the coming theater season, it looked very different. The Atlanta-based Justin Barnes Sextet, an ensemble of jazz musicians, played for a socially distanced audience of just 11. The concert was live-streamed, too, and brought in donations from a virtual tip jar. Still, as Owen told the AJC's Melissa Ruggieri the night of the show, it's not a financially viable model, but he said, quote, I'm afraid not to do something. I feel I have to keep the brand and the name out there, unquote. See our photos from the show and read more about the event on the Atlanta Music Scene blog at AJC.com. 
We all need exercise, and the pandemic can make that a little more difficult. But the scientific consensus says that outside is one of the safer places to be, so why not try biking? It can be a solitary pursuit or one with just a small group, but it's an easy way to maintain some social distance, get some fresh air, and improve your health, both physical and mental. In this week's Do Guide and Friday's print edition, we talk with some folks who are two-wheeling it around Metro Atlanta and offer a geographically diverse set of places to explore on your bike. We'll also have tips for staying safe while doing it. Check it out in the Friday print edition of the AJC and online at AJC.com. Many restaurants are back in dine-in service mode with many adjustments, of course, but some are still relying heavily on takeout. The AJC's dining team is still exploring some of the best in takeout with the Atlanta Orders In feature, which you'll find in print in the living section Monday through Friday. Recent visits include the flavor-packed heat of Kennesaw Sichuan Spot, Firestone, and a new take on fine dining to go at Miller Union, one of Atlanta's most celebrated restaurants. Our dining team is keeping you informed on restaurant closures and reopenings at the Atlanta Restaurant Scene blog at AJC.com. The AJC is dedicated to keeping you up to date with all the latest event cancellations and reschedulings. Stay in the know at AJC.com. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to AJC.com. Our senior editor is Nicole Smith. Podcast edited by Bria Felician. Music by Bo Emerson and Billy Guen, And I'm your host, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta.